0: they could pay your lawyer. I'm sure they could.
1: You could share a lawyer with them as they sue you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no conflict of interest yeah. there. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know how the law works, but
0: it's not our jobs yeah. to know what the laws, how the laws work. Mm-hmm. It's the lawyer's job.
1: It's your job to say incriminating things into a microphone well, and release it on the internet and yeah. nothing could ever go wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, let's get this, uh, yeah, this mic in place here. Right. We'll get moving. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's because it's so nice, like having a comedian here. Is that like before? Is like you oh. just said,
1: Brett was here like two days ago.
0: Well, he was recording <laughs> his own podcast. Okay. We were we weren't recording this one, and uh, but every guest I've had so far, I've had to spend time like getting warmed up mm-hmm. because they're just so nervous. Oh, okay. So I have them like in here, and we'll just talk for like at least a half hour, mm-hmm. so I can get them like you know, comfortable about being in this room and everything. So it's nice being amongst a comedian who, like, I know is like, oh, they, they know how to talk into a microphone. Yeah. Like, shy that sh-
1: way. Like, weird, grimy room with one other person. I can do this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> used to that.
1: It seems like an open mic, really. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. This is just like the show at No Class a couple of days ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which we won't mention any names. No, but it, was it was a good show. It's just it was, I haven't been
1: to that place since they... Uh, they have the new owner, and it just felt like empty still.
0: Yeah, it was nice to see comedy in that space again, mm-hmm. so that's, that was the, the plus, yeah. but it was a very odd situation, so. Well, anyways, <laughs> welcome to uh, Not Weird, Just Homeschooled with your host, Jeremy Demery. I'm here with my good buddy, Logan Rashad. Uh, he's one of my favorite, favorite people uh, in comedy. He's one of my favorite people in uh, life. He uh, has helped me out of several jams in the past, Uh, one of which uh, uh, was a scenario in which uh, another comedian told me I couldn't do bits. And so I had to sit there for 45 minutes to an hour not doing any bits. And then I ran into you and just uh, basically bit vomited all over you for like a good half hour, 45 minutes. So it was Mm -hmm. nice of you to allow me to do that. And
1: Yeah, I'm always happy for you to just run bits uh, by me as opposed to us making a real conversation.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're incredibly funny. So this is like a, another reason why I was like, Oh, like I kind of zoned in on you. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, we'll have a good time. Like yeah. I know whatever I'm dishing out, you're going to give it back twice as funny. So like it, that mm-hmm. was the nice part, you know?
1: And I like when people run bits by it. me, like, cause I like punching up jokes too.
0: You're like, vi- yeah, I love doing that. You're a very strong comedy writer.
1: Like I like watching people's sets like at the club. Um, Like, uh, I saw Joe Briggs yesterday, and he was telling a bunch of jokes. I'm like, hey, you mentioned different neighbors in two of your jokes. You can just make them one neighbor. (laughs) Like, just, like, little things like that where you're just, like, trying to make things more cohesive. Sure. I love trying to, like, figure that out.
0: Yeah, Joe's one of those people where I feel like he's never asked me for those types of advice. Oh, yeah,
1: no, never. I just, like, give it to people, and then, like, most of the time
0: they're like, go away. Really? (laughs) See, I'd be so thankful, like... I would love. I love even da- David will give me unsolicited advice, and honestly, I'm very thankful for it mm-hmm. because you just sometimes it's just things I had never considered, and there has been some pretty big breakthroughs on old material that I just it was like you know it was right in front of my face, and I just never saw it, and thankfully David did, and was like, oh, okay, that completely changed everything about that whole chunk of material because of this like one minute switch Mm -hmm. and then just everything like you know, how, you ever have that moment where you're like, you change like one little thing and then everything else just it seems like right fall right into place.
1: Yeah. You get like the moment of clarity, which is nice. But then it's also frustrating because you're like, I've been saying these words almost the same for six months <laughs> and it never works. And <laughs> I keep trying it. And then I switch one word and everyone's like, oh, it's so goddamn funny now. And you're like, why?
0: <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are. Yeah. Those are the most frustrating because you're like, oh, all I had to change was like I had to mm-hmm. drop like a like a. a, like a a the somewhere Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's a killer bit. I
1: have a bit uh, that I do a lot about my old roommates when I lived in old Brooklyn and I was doing all these jokes about my roommate Jeff because he had like a bunch of guns in the house and he had like just all kinds of crazy stories. He was like the funniest person to live with. But I learned that I kept telling stories about just him and not the other roommates because he was just like the most hilarious. (laughs) And it was like exhausting and didn't seem real. So I had to cut him up into two separate roommates in the bit. Wow. And, like, it started working so much better because people were like, oh, now there's, like, a cast of characters instead of, like, one guy who does, like, a funny thing and this other dude who just did a bunch of unbelievable stuff. Right. Because he was just, like, too sitcom And I had to explain it to him, like, I have to make you into two people because no one else believes you're real. <laughs> <laughs> and then the bit started working.
0: He's, like, a he's almost like a Kramer type. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, yeah. and But, but the nice thing about Kramer is, like, you know, in comedy seeing is believing. So like they were able to associate the one character to all the wacky shit because Mm -hmm. they could see it. Now, when you're explaining it to somebody, it's almost like, Oh, could one person really be doing all these things? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's some weirdos out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what, where did you grow up? I grew up in West park. So Cleveland born and raised. Nice. Uh, So you, what schools in West park now? I think of it. What so you... since
1: West Park's technically in Cleveland, I would have had to go to Cleveland public schools. So my parents put me into uh, private schools. So I grew up in Lutheran schools my whole oh, life. Oh wow! Yeah, I did uh, Messiah Lutheran in Fairview and then Lutheran West. Just, were those all River. like
0: all boy schools or just Catholic?
1: No, so they're just like Lutheran co-privates. Yeah. Private
0: schools. How is that like? Growing up, but like, because like nine, 90% of, the, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. a lot of the people that you're in school with don't all live in the same neighborhood. So, like, I guess getting together or organizing anything might be a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, for the most part, I
1: mean, it's all like West Side Cleveland people. It wasn't too bad. That's nice. Um, the classes were small. Like, my graduating class in high school is 100 people. So, like, I had friends that went to Strongsville, their graduating class is 800. And, like, I could never wrap my head around, like, there being that many other people around.
0: Mine, were, my graduating class was, uh, well, I so I was part of, like, a homeschooling group. So my graduating class was, like, eight people. Oof. Yeah, and all of them were weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucks. Except for one. One was cool. Was your homeschooling, like, a religious
1: homeschooling thing, or... Like, what was the deal? I
0: don't think it started out that way, but that's an, I mean, that's kind of how it ended up eventually. Um, it started off as like, oh, Jeremy was diagnosed as ADD. They wanted to put me on Ritalin. And my parents are like these, you know, hippie types,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: ex hippie types who were like, oh, he's just not getting enough attention. And I don't want my kid to be reliant on this yeah. substance his whole life. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're going to pull him out of school. And then my mom kind of took over the responsibility of educating us while my dad worked. And, uh, that's kind of how it started. But since most of the homeschooling groups at the time were very like religious based and my parents were religious people, but they were more a little like lax about it at Mm -hmm. the time. They've now become pretty like fundamentalist Christians, but, Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, it was pretty, like, a loose <laughs> a loose belief of, like, this is what we... I think for them, it was mostly about community and having a community of people who um, aren't on substances. Yeah. You know, like, having substance abuse. Because they both come from, you know, families of substance abuse Okay, issues. so they didn't want
1: you getting on Ritalin because you just, like, become dependent on a substance, then? Oh, yeah. And well, then, too, like,
0: the they, they, you know, they... Both my grandparents and my dad's side were alcoholics actually both grand said of grandparents were alcoholics so mm-hmm. i mean it was the thing to do then you know but there was nothing else you yeah didn't have the internet, <laughs> you had yeah. alcohol
1: and like drive-in theaters right yeah, that's yeah. it that's all that there was that's your connection to the outside <laughs> <Yeah>. world booze in <laughs> theaters that's as far as i can tell like, yeah that's all i know about. and the they
0: past. some of them even inform you on what's going on with the war so that's kind of nice that is cool yeah. i wish that they would
1: do the news and movie theaters that again. would be great yeah
0: because it would honestly force a lot of people into actually being aware of what's going on in the world today. Because yeah. I think as easy it is, or ex- as accessible as it is, mm-hmm. like, it is easy to tune it out as well. Because there's so much distraction everywhere that yeah. you don't really need to pay attention to anything. Mm-hmm. So...
1: But if you had to sit through 30 minutes of newsreel footage of Ukraine before you watch Avatar 2, that could change <laughs> yeah. a lot of
0: hearts and minds. It really would, <laughs> I think. I think it would have a huge impact mm-hmm. and probably make the like the, a lot of the references in that movie a lot more relatable. I don't know. I didn't actually see the newest. Yeah, I don't think it
1: has anything to do with the war in I, Really? I have a feeling Avatar 2 is not about that.
0: No, I, I, I really doubt it, but. <laughs> what was the, the first one we had a lot of, like, warfare in it, right? I can't remember. Yeah, it was just Pocahontas. I was so fucking high yeah. every time I saw Avatar. I the, hated that movie. Really? Yeah. I liked it in 3D. I
1: didn't see it in theaters, and then I refused to watch it until I had, like, a VR headset that could do 3D. Oh, And then yeah. I watched it that way, and I made it halfway through. And I'm like, it's pretty, but this sucks. Yeah,
0: when you're high, it's like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, but everything is like that.
1: I don't have to watch Avatar for three hours. That is
0: true. (laughs) Point taken, (laughs) for sure. Like, yeah, everything's like, oh, shit, man. I could probably watch this head here. And you're like, hell yeah, brother. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You're like the guy who's just like, oh, I went to see fish, And it was amazing. That's because of the drugs. Yeah, Oh, yeah. I didn't have to go to this like it's Mecca. It's (laughs) definitely one of those
0: bands you have to see on drugs. Or even get. like Unless you should be introduced to that band on drugs. Yeah, because my cousin showed me that band when I was not high at all, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't get this. Like, I get like they play the same riff for like twenty five minutes. We get it. You know how to play that riff. Mm -hmm. Just change it up for Christ's sake. Yeah. But so you grew up in a private school. So a lot did a lot of you kind of have like a as you got older or like when you went from junior high to high school. Or from, like, grade school to junior high? Like, all, do a lot of those people transfer over to those other grades? Yeah. Or... So, like,
1: there's a bunch of different Lutheran schools around Cleveland, and they all kind of just funnel to a couple different high schools. So, like, the people that were in my class up until eighth grade, I'd say 20 of the 30, like, went to Lutheran West. Mm-hmm. And then you just meet, like, the other Lutheran kids. But even then, like, because people went to Lutheran schools, which is, like, everyone kind of assumes it's the same as Catholic, which it kind of is not everyone who's in those schools is Lutheran. Like they're all different sorts of Christian, which is so strange growing up that way because like you're learning about Christianity and how there's like one true way of doing this. And like everyone else in your class and your teachers are always like a different sect of Christianity and they think of things slightly differently. Yeah. So by like your eighth religion class, you're just like, okay, well like the Presbyterian teacher taught this a little bit different than the Lutheran teacher who taught it different from the Catholic teacher. Like, I feel like there is some things we haven't worked out yet.
0: (laughs) That's that's, I think, a testimony too of like you being a very good comedian and a great writer Mm -hmm. because you would notice something like that. Where something like that to me would probably it might just go way over my head. Like I wouldn't have noticed.
1: I think that's like also a Lutheran thing because it's like a not to get super into religion too much, but like um, Lutheranism is like an offshoot of Catholicism. So basically, like, the Catholics were just running the show for over a thousand years. (laughs) And then there were all these, like, monks. Like, Martin Luther is the main guy in Germany. And he was noticing, like, hey, we're teaching all these peasant people about Catholicism. They go to church every Sunday. They're being spoken to in Latin during church. They have no idea what anyone's saying. They're all German. They don't speak Latin. The priests are speaking everything in Latin. And then they'll, like, say, no, what that passage means is blah, 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 blah. And just, like, sometimes lying. Uh, and these German monks were like, "Hey, like this doesn't match up with what's in the Bible." The Catholics were doing things like being like, "Oh, you know, just in case uh, you thought that your dad might be stuck in purgatory, you can pay us, and we'll give you a little sheet of paper saying we forgive his sins after his death." And they were like scamming people. So then, like, it's
0: a pretty good scam, guys. Yeah. These German monks
1: were like, "Hey, we should probably stop doing these things to scam people that aren't in the Bible, and we should probably make the Bible like in a language people could read." Sure. And then like when you grow up learning like that's the basis for your version of Christianity, you start distrusting all the other ones. Because <laughs> you're just like, okay, you're telling me like we're entirely here because we found out the other ones were scamming people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then
1: it's tough for the teacher to then be like, yeah, but we figured it out. We're cool now. We don't have to look into yeah, it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, no. Yeah, we've, we've 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 HR got involved. Yeah. They hashed it all out. Everyone's good. We settled it. Please. Police tithe
1: every sunday yeah You're like what
0: <laughs> don't you owe us money now like what's yeah. going on here you got know, a little back pay situation did that get all settled i mm-hmm. highly doubt it well yeah dishonesty in religion who yeah. knew so I, that definitely like was
1: a part of my upbringing like not like i was never like the kid was like hardcore atheist like i hate all this stuff but i was like hey we're like not 100 percent on this
0: yeah it's so funny that like people who claim that this is, like, ultimate truth in religion, and then, like, if it's ultimate truth, then why are there so many different, like, sects of Christianity Mm -hmm. and none of you seem to understand, like, to be able to agree on anything? Yeah. So, like, if it's that clear cut in black and white, then Mm -hmm. what's the haps here, Yeah. everybody? You know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit odd to me. Like, I grew up in a... um non-denominational like um we were like a southern baptist charismatic um kind of church i guess like Mm -hmm. it was but it was more centered on around like the arts so like you know a lot of us was really is a really odd church it was basically like a bunch of like ex-hippies got together okay yeah and decided to Like, they're a Christian now, Mm -hmm. and then they're like, well, we're still artists all the same, and that's all we know how to do, so we'll just do this, you know, Christian art thing. Mm -hmm. And it kind of produced a lot of us, like, nerdy art-type people like myself or – I, it's weird to put in a reference like this, but, like, uh, is it, you know Zachary Durr right? Yeah. Him and I went to the same church together. We grew up in the same church together. That's okay. the kind of people this church is producing. Yeah. These <laughs> like, really, like, uh, very much so, like, a, you know, centered on the arts type people. And so, you know, we learned a lot of cool things growing up, like, you know, sound engineering and, you know, stage productions and painting and mm-hmm. writing. And so, you know, we kind of led into our adult lives into being more involved with more artistic endeavors. But like, you know, it's kind of odd. The, yeah. the whole thing was very bizarre, but it was fun. We had a good time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whatever. We, yeah. It was if you're good like time. Learning
1: good skills. Like that's great. Yeah. And skills
0: that we still use. Like I, I you know, a lot of different facets. I use a lot of those skills that I learned growing up in the church. Like, you know, what it means to put on a show or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. things like that. Because, I mean, that's all we were really doing anyways. Yeah. It's just, we just put God in the front of it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. But for, everything else was a production. Right. Yeah, so, it's kind of funny, like, we'd have plays and, like, they would do, like, a play, like, once, I think once a quarter. (laughs) Like, uh, Like, these huge, huge productions. Oh, my God. You know, to a point where they built like uh, basically in, like an auditorium of like a, a theater. Like a mm-hmm. big is basically just a big theater in North Olmsted. And uh I mean it was labeled as a church, but it was really built like a, a theater. And it had like you know all the you know, all the stage production of any kind of play you would see at like uh Playhouse theater. Like in like definitely we had those like you know, like the balcony scaffolding thing where you can like have Mm -hmm. somebody like jump off of it and like fly through the
1: air. Like (laughs) Like that's so much more than needs to be done for your like totally unnecessary. Yeah. Totally unnecessary. It's like churches have so much money, it's insane. Like and the way that it gets used is so funny when it's just like, Yeah, we built a brand new giant auditorium with like top of the line stuff that like Playhouse Square would have. It's like you don't need that.
0: And the church when they first proposed building it Mm -hmm. um because we were meeting in like a high school auditorium like most of my childhood Mm -hmm. it wasn't until like maybe close to like i'd say probably like my sophomore year of high schools when they i think they started breaking ground on that church Mm -hmm. and uh so they proposed the it to the congregation it was supposed to cost 3.1 million dollars and it ended up costing 13-something, 13, 13 and a half Ow. million dollars. How do you misjudge it by that uh, So the
1: architect- like Nine million dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, the guy who was the architect for the whole project was a pastor mm-hmm. who went to school for architecture and just completely misjudged everything. <laughs> and I think the city wasn't really necessarily thrilled with them building a church mm-hmm. where they built it because it was technically like a residential like farm like area like yeah there's was, it was quite a bit of land and they kind of the land was gifted to them so the whole thing was kind of almost foisted upon that city mm-hmm. and they didn't feel like that area was able to there was a lot of issues like getting the um, that amount of electrical down into this like valley area mm-hmm. getting plumbing down there like it was it was a huge project that they never really thought it through. So even even the whole things pretty much other than electricity, but like the plumbing and um, how they supply like heating and cooling in the building is all pretty self sufficient. But the only thing they couldn't obviously they couldn't get they had to tap through was um, electricity, and even that was kind of like up up for debate of whether or not they were gonna make that even self-sufficient and do like solar p- so panels amazing. and shit like that. So, but at the time the technology was like pretty unreliable. So, you know, yeah, you God just...
1: forbid costs get excessive. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they nixed that idea. And uh yeah, it was, it was, it's just so funny. Like that church is just a big money pit and every, well that's
1: insane for someone to be like, we need to build a church here. It's going to be even $3 million. It's like, there's so many churches already. Yeah, We oh, don't yeah. need the other building. Spend $3 million helping people or doing something.
0: And this was right around the time, too, of, like, the housing bubble. Mm-hmm. I think. No, because that was, never mind. There's no way. Because if this happened my sophomore year of high school, the housing bubble didn't happen for another 10 years. But... uh But, yeah, they were just – well, it was probably the beginning of the housing bubble where it was, like, they're just willing to throw money at anybody who's willing to build something. Yeah. You know? Uh, So that – because that was also, too, like – now I think of it. There's, like, a ton of different developments. And, like, I grew up in Parma. Mm -hmm. In, like, Parma, Parma Heights area. So, like, it was insane how many different developments were being created during that time uh, in, like, high school – you know, junior high, high school time because – you know, wasn't that many people even really moving into the neighborhood. Then mm-hmm. a lot of those projects ended up like three quarters built to half halfway done. And I don't know. I don't know. actually I live pretty close to Parma now, but I don't wonder if any of that even got finished. These are a lot of it sat like undeveloped for so long. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of strange watching these like development projects kind of just seize. And That's just kind of not- funny
1: to think of like a time when they're like, We really need to build up Parma because this is about to be a thing. And they got halfway through (laughs) and we're like, oh, wait, nope, never mind, never mind. Everyone went to Tremont. (laughs) Our bad. We misjudged that hard. (laughs) Or the
0: the mayor or something like that like extorted all the money that she was supposed to go to those projects, (laughs) which happened very frequently in Parma. Like It seemed like every other mayor or whatever (laughs) was extorting some sort of money from some sort of project that was supposed to happen. At
1: a certain point that's on you all though. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean you're the ones voting them in, <laughs> so mm-hmm. you kind of get what you voted for, right? Yeah. So egg on our faces. <laughs> <Bunch of laughs> well not idiots. mine. I wasn't old enough to to vote at the time, so mm. I had no say in the matter. I just watched everyone else make those mistakes as adults, but those are the some of those are the li- life lessons we're going to learn today. Yeah, it's exciting <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah so when you a lot of those kids like i'm all over the place but a lot of those kids definitely did go over to like different you had a lot of cross over recognizable faces from grade yeah. to grade that's kind of nice and
1: like the kids at the other um like lutheran elementary and middle schools like those were the leagues that we were playing sports with so we still saw these kids at like different events like growing up but you would just see them like When you're playing basketball, like, these are the other teams. They're the other Lutheran schools in the area. And then finally we are all, like, lumped together in high school.
0: Wow. So how big was this? How big was the high school? So
1: high school was 400 students total when I went there. Whoa, that's that's a small amount of people. Yeah. And then, like, my class was a little over 100. So you get, like, 20 different kids from five different Lutheran schools that all basically came over.
0: I wonder, like, because you guys didn't grow up, well, some of you didn't grow up together, was it nice meeting new people, or was it like, oh, all of a sudden, you, you're lumped together with a bunch of bullies that you no, I mean, kind of blindsided you, in a sense?
1: There wasn't, like, anything negative to it. It kind of made you realize, like, how many other suburbs and places there are. Sure. Because, like, when you want to hang out, or, like, they do, like, birthday parties growing up, you're kind of scattered. You go to, like, Westlake, or sometimes you're, like, in East Cleveland, whereas uh, when I started making friends, I went to Strongsville High. I remember, like, meeting their immediate, like, group of friends that they hung out with all the time were just other kids in the neighborhood. And I was like, oh, is that how public school is? Like, when you start, like, as a kid, you only know, like, other kids from your neighborhood. Like, literally, there was 10 people I knew who hung out all the time that I would hang out with in high school, and they lived in the same development. Wow. Wow. And, like, they were all the same type of kid, and I don't know if that's just from growing up together where they lucked out that way, but, like, it's just weird that they were geographically right there. Whereas, like, when I was growing up, my friends were all over Cleveland. Yeah. It was annoying for my parents. They would have to drive me everywhere.
0: Yeah, I kind of have the same, similar situation, even being homeschooled, because mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, there's no... There was a couple of kids in my neighborhood that I'd hang out with, for the mo- maybe, like, a handful at most, mm-hmm. but... You know a lot of my friends were through like the church so uh (laughs) you know they all lived in different neighborhoods so again like my parents would have to drive me all over the place just to hang out with yeah friends or whatever but do you feel like that helped you develop socially in that type of situation because you had to so often like i guess i guess not so often but like at one point you had to like almost change gears and like oh i got to meet these new people you know Um,
1: I definitely think the way that I grew up in the schools that I grew up in made it so there weren't really, like, cliques. Like, everyone wasn't really, like, falling into, like, a certain pattern. Everyone just kind of got along. You might not like certain people, but, like, everyone was just, like, friendly to each other. Wow. So even now doing comedy when people are like, oh, there's all these different cliques, like, I don't see it. Yeah. I'm just, like, I notice people run certain shows and they have, like, their friends who help them run it or they do different things, but, like... I've never been like, oh, someone gatekeeps this person; they keep them out.
0: Yeah, like,
1: it's just like, no, you can go over there and ask them to be on their show.
0: Which we've been accused of, and I think it's on. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: but that's because you guys do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, somebody's got to put some quality <laughs> control in this town. Uh, anyways, but like, yeah, it's it's interesting that like, you guys all got along, maybe because you guys never really we're able to like develop each other's buttons in order to push them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there's just like, Oh, and it's, it is not, it is fun meeting new people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even as comics, like we talk to strangers all the time. So that's kind of fun. Like, yeah, they don't know who you are. So you kind of get to tell them or try and shape who you are to them. Mm-hmm. in in a, in a very public setting. So, you know, growing up in, uh, homeschooled like you there's just not like, like there's no way to earnestly or like organically meet anybody so a lot of your friendships are like uh arranged yeah you know like it, it my mom worked or was friends with somebody and they had a kid who's relatively close to my age and Mm-hmm. like Nerf guns. Like, I like Nerf guns. And that was, like, the one threat. Like, if yeah. there was, like, one little threat, like, of their son liking one thing that I like, mm-hmm. then, like, that was enough for my parents. Yeah. Which... You can plan a whole day around that. And even Bring your the, Nerf gun. Or even, then, like, yeah. if they assumed I was into that. Yeah. Because there'd be a lot of times, too, it was like, oh, no, you were very... I don't know where you got that impression that I was into that, like, thing or whatever. But I'm... No, I don't into that at all. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, that was also kind of interesting because my parents tend to like they're not like they're not bad people, but they're just not. They kind of just got their own shit going on, so they just didn't pay attention very much to what we were really doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one time they would have me hang out with a kid who's like really into basketball. Yeah. And then I would try to get it really into basketball because that other kid was really into the basketball. And then I realized, like, I don't really like this at all. Right. So, I mean, I like watching basketball, but I'm not, like, an, an athlete in that mm-hmm. way. So, you know, also because there was no, like, sports teams and yeah homeschooling. So it's like, how would I develop those skills? Do you have any type of, like, sports league at all?
1: Like, anything... So I played some
0: I played some city sports growing okay. up so like baseball um uh there was like a pee wee football league there for a minute I played from like 10 to 12 um what was the other sports I played mostly a, a lot of baseball really mm-hmm. I was really into baseball and it was you know but eventually you grow you kind of oh basketball too a little bit but honestly was not very good at basketball and I just kind of like yeah not that interested in it so it that kind of fell apart quickly but uh yeah it wasn't a lot of like when you aged out of organized sports so come t- to 12 or 13 there's no more no longer any city sports available to me mm-hmm. so that's when i started you know skateboarding okay yeah learning the uh the exciting world of punk rock, mm-hmm. so and expanding my like horizons and that's and that's that such way. a weird
1: way to get into like being like the punk skater kid because there's not like an authority figure it feels like when you're homeschooled. Yeah, whereas there like isn't. when you're like a teenager in high school at like a normal school you're just like I hate the principal, I hate my teachers, I hate these things and i was just rebelling like, against society like your parents but yeah like, it's not that much to where you should feel so i was I rebelling know.
0: against corporate america man but you didn't get to see it yeah. <laughs> i was never involved you were off the grid you know I, I didn't even go to a hot topic until i was like almost uh, probably past high school yeah i think i only went one time and i was like this is weird mm-hmm. and i never went back
1: <laughs> that's such a weird thing that like I don't think kids do anymore. It's like I remember going and hanging out at the mall. Yeah. That's got to, I'm probably like the last wave that did that. How old are you? I'm 28.
0: 20 yeah. So yeah, Sorry. you were. You were yeah. like Yeah, you were like the last stand of all the kids who went to malls. Malls are mm-hmm. so intimidating to me. I was never comfortable in them.
1: It's a lot going on.
0: Yeah, and like I don't know anybody there. Mm-hmm. So like and they all seem to know each other, so it was like Really intimidating. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't really hang. I I I'd skate outside malls a lot, but okay. I never really go in them. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I always liked skate culture, and I could never skate. I have no coordination, so like I tried rollerblading, I tried ice skating, I tried uh, skateboarding, and I couldn't do
0: anything. Oh, I never said I was good at any of these but, things, but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I enjoyed them. But uh, skateboarding, I I get, I get okay at skateboarding, but because mm-hmm. I get an ample time to develop as a skateboarder because you know as a homeschooler you get like an itinerary for the week so i can do all of my schoolwork in the first three days of the week and then have four days to fuck off Mm -hmm. so that was cool i loved that that's
1: cool when you can like figure out like how to schedule things like that i think that's a big moment like i remember um when i was a senior in high school i learned that you could take 10 days off each semester before they started like Doing any sort of punishment. Like, you could, you still had to call off and, like, have a parent call in sick or something for you. Sure. But I learned if you showed up for one class, that would count as a half day. Oh. So I would show up for, like, a test or a quiz, and then I'd call my grandma and have her call me off. And I missed 20 days each semester my senior year. But because I was doing that, I figured out, like, why am I, like, I was literally, like, I'm not gonna go to class all day. I'm gonna go home and study for three hours, show up for the quiz have my grandma call me off and then go smoke pot with my friends
0: that's amazing and i had a
1: 4.2 my senior year and i was just like oh okay like this is the secret to everything is stop wasting your time yeah figure out how to do a schedule so like growing up where you have an itinerary from the get-go like that makes sense why you have a job and a podcast studio and do things because you can like actually plan out your days and times
0: I'm not and great you know at it, it, but yeah.
1: Uh, but a lot of people are just like, no, I have one thing, and that's all I can do, and it's like, no, you don't have to live right. With
0: that. You're the, like this. Uh, I find that so fascinating because like you're like the smartest uh, kid who ever skipped class.
1: Yeah, but I knew like people weren't gonna give me any problems if I was doing well. Like my parents knew I was skipping class, and they would just be like, "Well, how are your grades? I'm like they're four point two. They've never been better. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, be careful." And then like even my teachers like understood what was going on because I was always gone and then they would just be like I don't know like you're doing great we can't really punish you for this
0: would you have considered yourself a bad kid growing up
1: no really I was like a little bit of a bully in like elementary school and that's just because I watched wrestling
0: Oh, uh, okay, yeah, that's...
1: yeah. that I had
0: that same issue where it, like, pumped me up and then mm-hmm. I'd beat the shit out of my little brother and then yeah. I wouldn't be able to watch Ninja Turtles for, like, a couple months. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: We were, like, trying to play, but, like, your play is, like, just beating the hell out of somebody. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, hey, we actually aren't playing anymore. <laughs> yeah,
0: I actually, you know, one time, I, I think I, I knocked my brother out. I forget. I, something happened where I I kind of really laid into him and uh, my parents were like, yeah, you're done with watching Ninja Turtles for... <laughs> For the foreseeable future, because I had to get, like, you know, you're an ADD kid, so and mm-hmm. you're not on Ritalin or anything, so you like have all this, like, pent-up energy mm-hmm. from watching something that you thought was really cool, and you wanted to do those same moves, yeah. and you got a little brother, so <laughs> 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 you might as well beat the shit out of him, right? That's what they're there for. Yeah. That's funny that you thought, like, you would consider, because I always consider myself a bad kid, but I think where where you and I kind of like relate in a sense is that we were really good at getting away with doing bad things and not getting caught. Mm -hmm. Like my parents thought I was a great kid growing up, but I did a lot of really dumb shit. Like, but I just never got caught doing it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it was like like to them, you know, I I got good grades. I stayed out of trouble for the most part. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they thought I was a great kid, but in my head, I'm like, oh, I was a little shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, going into, like, housing development, setting off fireworks, yeah. and watching, like, the construction guys freak the fuck out. Like, that was fun for yeah. me. But, you know, I never got caught, so. Mm-hmm. And who would think that it's, like, a 13-year-old?
1: Everyone. Everyone would think that, 100%. But in the middle of the <laughs> afternoon,
0: yeah. on a weekday? Mm-hmm. Nah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nah, I think part of it was my parents were like, chill with everything. Like, my dad was literally like, you can't do anything worse than I did.
0: <laughs> so they were just like, if you
1: fuck up, like, let us know. That's great. It'll get figured out.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, my parents were very similar. Yeah. Like, they are kind of the same way. We are like, yeah, you guys... You're never gonna do anything as crazy or as stupid as what we've done in our past, which is so. also like
1: a little offensive. Because as a teenager, you're like, "I'll fucking show you." And then you hear a story of like what the '80s were like. You're like, hey, "Never mind." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot you there win. were no laws. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like my dad. My dad went to jail. Like, well, he he had his bachelor party broken up by the cops, and he spent a couple nights in jail. Like before he like few days before my parents got married Mm -hmm. and my like that's just how like no one was mad at him they actually felt sorry for him yeah like if somebody like us did that today Mm -hmm. like if i got if i got arrested before i got married no one would feel bad for me they would call me like a degenerate or something or an idiot Mm -hmm. you know there would be no empathy for me whatsoever but it was a different time so they're just like oh yeah that's what that just happens yeah you just somehow end up in jail for a couple days Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's like uh it's I think that uh yeah, you and you and I are very similar in that sense. We're like my parents like they're like, Oh, well, he's not getting into anything as bad as we were into. So mm-hmm. Especially them having like substance abuse issues themselves, coming from parents who had substance abuse issues, so mm-hmm. yeah, to the to them they're like we're the best. Yeah. So mm-hmm.
1: and I was an only child too, so it was just Oh like, really? Yeah. That is
0: very – so how do you feel like – I bet you in a sense that it almost made you more outgoing because uh, you had no choice but to meet other people for that, like, sense of community. Uh, That wasn't really necessarily built into the household.
1: I think it was more – I was, like, more comfortable around adults and doing adult things. Uh, And, like, I was also comfortable just doing stuff by myself. Like, I had neighborhood friends that I would hang out with. But, like when i'm at home i'm just like playing by myself or playing video games alone or like doing solitary things and like mm-hmm. that was fine whereas like a lot of people who have brothers and sisters once you like hold them out of that situ- situation they get like twitchy and they don't know how to like just do a thing alone
0: yeah i mean the the, the thing though with like my sister was kind of always in her own little world mm-hmm. and my brother was 4 years age difference yeah so like when you're that young it's a huge gap mm-hmm. when you're that young. Now it's like nothing. Like, yeah. If anything, I think he might be older than I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maturity wise. Right. He's definitely older than I am. But, uh, uh, yeah. So it's like, I didn't really necessarily have that either. Whereas like, I spent a lot of time by myself, uh, just, you know, not really like that's and like, that's, I think it kind of helped me develop a little bit socially is because in order to have that sense of community, Mm -hmm. I'd have to, like, branch out and meet people or, like, just complete strangers. Yeah. Or, like, kids in the neighborhood where I just, like, oh, I met this kid named, you know. Here's a really great example. There's this kid named Crooks who I grew up with. And we still know each other today. Mm -hmm. And we've never really – we don't know how we met each other. Awesome. No recollection of it whatsoever. It just so happened I showed up one day. Mm -hmm. He was also around and he also skateboarded, and we were just friends from there on out. Like we would see each other and whatnot. Like, yeah. It was also nice being homeschooled. Like when peer pressure would happen, I just leave. Right. I didn't have to. Stuck
1: going back to that same place over and over again. Right. I didn't
0: have to come back. Yeah. And I didn't have to deal with those kids come Monday. Mm -hmm. So, how was that like being an only child? And then having to deal with peer pressure. Do you feel like because you didn't have, like, an older brother or, a, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't mm-hmm. have that kind of interaction. Do you feel like it made you more independent or less independent as an individual?
1: Uh, probably more independent. Like, I didn't feel like I was, like, following, like, anyone's lead on something. Like, it wasn't like I had an older brother. And I was like, well, he did this and that. So I want to do that. Like, I was just kind of, like, very independent. I never felt, like, pressured to do anything. Yeah. I mean, like... Even now, like, someone offers me something, like, they're just like, hey, you want to do Coke? I'm like, honestly, I don't like Coke, so I'm just wasting your Coke. So, like, no. (laughs) Have you ever done Coke
0: before? I have, yeah. Um, So you know you don't like it. Yeah, I know I don't like it. Yeah. You're not just stating it to state, like, oh, you know. It's not like like one of those mad commercials, like, what are you, a chicken?
1: No, I know, like, what I like to do is acid, and it's been forever since I've ever, like, since I've done acid. It's been years. But you need 16 free hours, so that's not a thing I just do on a whim.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely not a uh, oh this will be a couple hours of my time type drug. It's like oh I got to rethink the next like three days. Yeah, like I got to plan out three days where I have just completely. I got to buy the right
1: snacks. I got to set aside the right albums and have a good time. And then if you're like no you can take this and you're just going to want to talk to people and you'll have a bad hangover. I'm like no. Right. <laughs> like that's not my thing. You'll
0: you you uh you'll create three different businesses in one evening and mm-hmm. none of them will happen. Some <laughs>
1: already exist.
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do and yeah. the, they were a brilliant idea at the time, but it was a brilliant idea that already happened. Yeah. But you were convinced you were the only one who ever thought of it mm-hmm. and you're like why is this not a thing? Yeah, and as it turns out, it's a thing. Mm -hmm. So,
1: so yeah, I was never, uh, I never felt like peer pressure. I guess.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Like, I think you and I are very similar in that sense of like. So, who was like a influence in your life? Like, who do you feel like helped develop like uh, your taste in music or like some of the things that you're interested in today? Because you have a very deep knowledge of comedy. Like, you're very Mm much like. I always respected that about you. Was like you, you've always been like a really big fan. I always thought of myself as a fan of a big fan of comedy or comedy nerd. And then I met you, and I'm like, oh, I don't have the vast knowledge this guy's got.
1: Yeah, it started like as a kid. I just learned a bunch of cool stuff from my dad. Like my dad was, uh, he was like a drummer as a teenager and like young adult. So oh, that's he played awesome. In like, nothing like huge, but he just played in bands, and he was super into. That kind of, like, rock music and, like, grunge that he grew up with. And he, like, oh, shared wow. a lot of that, which is cool. And then he was really into Carlin. He was into Carlin and uh, the amazing Jonathan. I remember watching with him, like, really young. Uh, who was, like, comedy magician, but, like, super yeah. dark. I don't know if you remember him, but he's awesome. awesome. Uh, he's, like, so, a tall,
0: lanky guy, right? With, like, black hair?
1: Uh, not lanky. He's, like, kind of chubbier.
0: Oh, maybe I'm thinking of something else.
1: Yeah. But, uh... He was great. So I got, like, a lot of that kind of music and comedy stuff from my dad. And then being just, like, a kid who was home alone a lot by himself, I was watching Comedy Central nonstop and sort of developed from there. And then as I got into high school, I was just, like, an emo kid. So I got into emo stuff, and I got into, like, the comedy of that time. But one thing I always loved doing was being, like, okay, I like this band. I like how they sound. I would, like, get super into, like, watching interviews of them back in those days. Like if I watched a movie and liked it, I'd watch the commentaries. Wow. And then like, you hear them say like, Oh, we did this cause we were influenced by this. So like I would listen to one band and they'd be like, Oh, we heard about this band pavement from the nineties. And I'm like, fuck, like let me go find out what pavement's all about.
0: So you, you get that, down like a rabbit hole yeah. of like influences. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah. That's so, like, that's, I respect that a lot. Cause I don't know if I did that necessarily. I mean, my a lot of my influences just came from a from a library. I don't know whose job it was, and this person gets shout out all the time. If anybody knows who the fuck whose job it was to build up the music library at the Palmer Heights Library from like <laughs> 1998 to like 2004, mm-hmm. please, please, please give them my information. Yeah, because they were a huge influence on my like. Like, what I liked musically Mm -hmm. is I would just rent CDs out based on, like, the names. Yeah. That was it. Oh, that's cool that
1: they had, like... But yours is a lot
0: smarter. Like, oh, I figured out what this band liked, Mm -hmm. and then I listened to that. For me, it was like, ah, it says Butthole Surfers on the album. Yeah, you're
1: like, can't go wrong with that. Right, I'm going to check this out.
0: (laughs) What's Fugazi? Yeah. I'm going to check this out. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just based on names. And, there you know, there were some duds in the mix. Of course,
1: yeah. There's always going to be duds, but but, uh, that's just how it goes And Usually if there's a, so the way I would do it when I was like kind of backtracking who this band was influenced by, you would find duds, but you'd be like, oh, but like this guitar sound matches what brand New's doing here. Or like, you know, you'll have like My Chemical Romance do, you know, their version of Queen. So then when you listen back to Queen, you're like, oh, I see what they're ripping off now. Yeah. And then you like kind of keep following back to everything.
0: Wow. The but, whole My Chemical Romance Queen crossover reference there is blowing my mind. Yeah, I, mean, like I don't like whole, that band, but I am The Black Parade
1: Dem- is just like a Queen rip. Yeah, I'm seeing the influence. Right like, it, yeah.
0: Wow, maybe I was a little harsher on My Chemical Romance than I should have been, because I love Queen.
1: Yeah, that, they get a lot of hate for that album from people who aren't into them. And I'm not like a huge My Chemical Romance person, but like Welcome to the Black Parade is wild because they put out one studio album, and then they were like, well, this might never happen again. They're giving us a second album. We better do whatever we want. Like, Let's just get out People were like, they it. sold out. It's like, they didn't sell it. They made a Queen album. Right, yeah. <laughs>
0: like,
1: they went as weird as you could.
0: They used the fullest extent of their budget for that album.
1: Yeah. Who can fault them for it? Like, that's what you should do if you're just like a weird, hardcore punk band getting all the studio money.
0: Is that how they contextualize it? Like, oh, we didn't know if we were going to have this opportunity again, so we just went for it? Yeah. Really? Wow. They
1: said like we got, they did their first big studio album, and it did really well. And they're like, well, we could like repeat that, but we're getting all of this money. Like, let's just go for it. It's yeah. For let's
0: take it to the next level. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't. Maybe I'm being a little harsh on them than I thought. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that mentality. It's a very like, well, it is in somewhat punk rock, you know. Yeah. So my bad. Sorry, My Chemical Romance. I'll. I'll take a second look. That's okay, cool. doing
1: fine. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> if you
1: don't pay twelve dollars for that album, they're gonna last. I think. <laughs> so you, your dad
0: was really into comedy. This was your kind of like your introduction to it.
1: Yeah, like my dad was into comedy, but there, he was into like certain comedians. So like he liked Carlin and Pryor, and like naturally he was really into Seinfeld. We watched Seinfeld all the time. Which is uh, it's kind of something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Is so many people think they're into stand up comedy, but they actually just like a few comedians. Sure. Like, you'll see it at shows all the time where people are just, like, not having a good time. But no one's ever been like, I don't like stand-up. Right. Everyone's like, I love stand-up. Let me come to the show. And then they don't laugh. And they're like, well, that wasn't it. You're like, no, you don't like stand-up. You like Jerry Seinfeld, which is fine. Yeah. But it doesn't happen with, like, other arts. No one's like, oh, I love country. And they only actually like one country artist.
0: (laughs) They'll say They'll be like,
1: oh, yeah, like. They'll be like I like Black Sabbath, and you're like, okay, but they won't be like, I love metal because I love Black Sabbath, right?
0: Yeah, that is, that is fascinating. Like it's so, so strange. So many times you hear like, yeah, I'm really into comedy, and then you're like, oh, that's cool, and then they they list off like mm-hmm. some bigger comics, and you're like, yeah, like Bert Kreischer, yeah, you're like, oh yeah, I'm which into is like, fine, yeah, which like, is fine, yeah. Burt's very funny. There's
1: nothing wrong with like only liking a few comedians, but no one ever like contextualizes like, oh, we don't like stand there's... right
0: we like these people
1: yeah and then they'll go to a show and be like well that's not what i like, like <laughs> yeah. that wasn't it
0: <laughs> yeah it is funny that like we all kind of get lumped in together and because i guess there's because there's really no genre yeah or like a well-known idea of what a genre in comedy is mm-hmm. so like in music you have country music you've got rock and roll you've got punk rock You've got pop punk. You've got, you know, I'm just, I yeah. just on a list of just different sects of pop yeah. or punk or whatever. Just break it all down. Yeah. You got hardcore.
1: <laughs> yeah. In comedy, there's no, like, indie folk comedy. Like, right. You don't have that.
0: That would be Ebo Phillips. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be funny. It would be nice almost in a sense because then it would kind of give people, a, like, an idea of what they're getting themselves into. hmm with stand-up, but it's also nice that maybe there's something out there that they didn't realize that they had liked that they would have never seen because it was just labeled stand-up comedy.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a good and bad because like with comedy, the lineups are never based on like a genre. So you get a different mix of like styles and opinions and points of view no matter what. But at the same time, like it can fracture the audience when they don't like certain
0: styles hmm. When da- when your dad would show you stuff like um as far as like his like his, some of his influences or like things that he was into, did he explicitly show you them or was it just kinda like, Oh, it was on and you guys both kind of like started watching or you were doing was... some other activity and he put it
1: on? No, he would usually like show me. Or he'd be watching it and then I'd come in there and be like, Check this out like this is George Carlin.
0: Yeah, my dad was kind of the same way, but my grandfather, on the other hand, he kind of almost did it on the sly. Mm-hmm. So we would play be playing like backgammon, and he'd put on like um, a Lenny Bruce record. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is dumb that you would play that for an eight-year-old.
1: Yeah. Like I'm
0: not getting the references. but It's I pretty did, boring
1: as a child oh, to listen to like super, Lenny Bruce or like Mort Saul or any of those people who like, I not I liked l- more.
0: I liked Mort Saul because at least he had like... It Was a little bit more story based as opposed mm-hmm. to like re- times and references, like yeah. Lenny Bruce was. Like Lenny Bruce was re- like talking about like a senator mm-hmm. that was probably dead already, yeah. So I'm not gonna know who that senator was or that judge, and mm-hmm. like the you know, uh, uh this the eighth, you know, the like what, well, it, the in the. Uh, um,
1: yeah, you got this. You got this. does Sanders uh, do? Let's yes. break well, in it the down. Supreme in the Supreme
0: Court. Like I don't yeah, know that's another what position. judge was on the bench during like yeah. the 60s. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of references there or like he would play like a Red Fox album.
1: Yeah. Wait, that's so much better when you're a kid.
0: Yes, <laughs> a Red because Red Fox album it's it's very, so much harder. Because you it but the, there's a lot of references that are very sexual and yeah. like, you know, I'm I don't know what he's talking about, mm-hmm. but it's at least it's at least cartoon enough for me to get into. yeah. Same with Carlin, same with Pryor, like even if I'm not necessarily understanding what they're talking about, mm-hmm. it's still like cartoonish enough to grasp the idea that it's funny.
1: Yeah, I think especially when you're a kid, comedians who have a good rhythm mm-hmm. really stand out.
0: Don like, Rickles is another one. Yeah, like
1: I remember I was peak age for Dane Cook when that when he was out and everything he does is like had a rhythm at that time. Sure. It was like it makes sense now looking back, like why that was so huge. But
0: yeah, it's so funny. Like at our age, there's people who are really into Dane Cook, and then all the others are liars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way there's in hell. There's bigger than Dane Cook. Yeah. Like, around the MySpace times. There's no way in hell he was that popular, mm-hmm. and nobody today seems to have liked him.
1: He's like. To me, he's Avatar for comedy, (laughs) where he was, like, grossing billions of dollars selling out every stadium. He had, like, five specials that were constantly on Comedy Central. And then in the past four years, I haven't heard anyone say anything about any of those specials.
0: God, you need to call him and give him that album title. (laughs) That is so funny.
1: (laughs) Just insane. Like, it's weird how some things don't hang in the culture the same way.
0: Yeah, it's very funny how how,
1: big they were.
0: Yeah, I don't, yeah, I I mean, I'm, I'll admit I was into Dane Cook during that time. Yeah. And I was probably old enough to know better. For me, it was like my freshman year of college, mm-hmm. my senior year of high school, right around that time when Dane Cook was really starting to mm-hmm. take off. So for me, it wasn't even like comedy it was necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. Like it was pretty much made for like kids – who were like in junior high, and high school, and that's ha- a good insight of how like uh, maturity, uh, m- how well I've developed in maturity, even at that time. Like mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, like the whole like what was it the um the super finger yeah, yeah I thought that was fucking hilarious. Yeah. In hindsight, now it's pretty gross. Yeah. But you know, I didn't have that ma- that maturity then to be thinking like, oh, that's kind of like.
1: I feel like if I looked back, like, I'll probably listen to an album after this, and, like, I'm sure 90% of it holds up. But there was a thing around that time where every comedian had a few tricks. Like, they would always do a song with an acoustic guitar.
0: Sure. Yeah, like, yeah. Dane
1: Cook had one. Berbiglia had one. A bunch of people would do Zach that. Zach
0: Alpinakis had the piano.
1: Yeah. Mencia had his song, too. Yes. At the, uh, um, Den- the, the the show. Dennis Miller. DD song or whatever. Or they Dennis- all had a catchphrase, and a lot of them had, like, a hand signal.
0: Yeah, who? Not Dennis Miller. Who am I thinking of? Who had the uh, "I'm an asshole"?
1: Oh, um, who's the guy who stole from Bill Hicks? Dennis Leary.
0: Dennis Leary. was oh, so yeah. close. Dennis Miller is a very different. <laughs> yeah, person very that, different guy. Yeah, very different people, but yeah. both, <laughs> both named Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, that, it's yeah. A lot of my influences came from like it was My, uh, my dad actually had like a somewhat of an influence on like how like my tastes uh, for like things in the arts but you know his his guys were more like um the grateful dead Mm -hmm. but one thing i will say that he definitely showed me at a young age that i'm very thankful was monty python Mm -hmm. because it was like the one thing he let me stay up late to watch so Mm -hmm. maybe that had something to do with it how much i love i loved i still to this day monty python is like some of the funniest uh and it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, Mm -hmm. like, you are getting, you're gonna love it, regardless of age, because it's so uh, cartoonish Mm -hmm. that if you're not getting what they're making fun of, you're still loving it because the guy's so wacky. Right. You know? But if you're older and you get the references, Mm -hmm. then it's fucking brilliant because he's being such a lunatic, you know? So there's something in there for pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. So there's something to there to grasp onto no matter, you know, what generation or age. And I think that's why they've been so popular for so long and had such a, you know, I feel like they've had a pretty big comeback in the last like few years that people started talking about that one. Of the, like mm-hmm. all the Netflix releases do like a couple of years ago, like they're kind of in the zeitgeist again. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of cool to see, but yeah, it was very exciting for me to be able to stay up later and watch, you know, because we had TV in the house, but it was like only got, you know, certain mm-hmm. amount of channels and predominantly was on PBS. Yeah. So my, uh, you know, my, uh, my pinhole to the out- outside world was PBS mm-hmm. until I got a little older and then my cousins got cable. Yeah. And then things kind of like I'd have them tape things mm-hmm. for me and then I'd watch it like throughout the week. Okay. So things like the state, um, uh, Mr. Show, like all Mm -hmm. these like cable,
1: yeah. Like I never got those. I would get. I would watch reruns of SNL, and then like my parent, my dad especially was into uh, like spoof movies. So anything with Leslie Nielsen. Oh, nice. But um, all those like kind of hip underground like comedy shows like the state and uh, Mr. Show. I didn't even see those until I was in high school. Like, once Netflix came out, that's when I was able to just start, like, getting DVDs of all these random things. Sure.
0: Okay. Yeah, I feel like uh, that. both those things, I was talking about this the other day, about how both those, the Mr. Show and the State, were almost like a a time and place. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't watch it during that time and place, you just never were going to get it. Like, yeah. Like, it's just kind of like that thing that just kind of, like, it's almost like an inside joke that, like, no one else understands. As you get, like, if you didn't, I feel like if you didn't watch in high school mm-hmm. or, like, your freshman year of college, you're not going to like those things. Yeah. And there's a lot of friends of mine who that in that kind of the same boat of, like, oh, I don't like it. But mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like.
1: Mr. Show, especially, that was the big one for me. When I found those DVDs, I was like, this is genius. Yes. And then I have to like try and, I still try and show people the sketches, and half the time they're just like, what is this? This is going on so long. And I'm like, it's so good though. Like, watch the audition. He keeps repeating the audition. And yeah. They're like, yeah. It's like, it's an eight minute bit, man.
0: And the fact that it all kind of like, well, both shows really kind of had all their sketches blend into the next one. Yeah. And have it all fit that way is brilliant in my Mm -hmm. mind like crazy yeah there's also a lot there's also a lot because i was watching both at the same time there's a lot of crossover between what's mr show and what's the state Mm -hmm. sometimes i'll be like yeah i love mr show where they had like uh uh i'm gonna dip my balls in it yeah and it's like oh that's not mr show
1: Mm -hmm. that's the state it's
0: like all together yeah it's kind Uh, of all like they're the same people (laughs) mm -hmm. (laughs) man that would be an insane if they did like a crossover tour that would just be too much. It'd be too It'd much. It'd be the weirdest thing ever. It'd be weird, but it would be, like, the funniest, like, couple of hours of your life. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Also, too, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it was just too...
1: It's a lot of clashing.
0: There's a lot of clashing of yeah personalities. Because mm-hmm. uh,
1: instead of, like, I'm going to dip my balls in it being, an, like, a minute and a half, they would overwrite it to, like... <laughs> you can't do that as, like, a five-minute sketch that, like, is about politics secretly. <laughs> yeah, that is a very good
0: point, for sure. Well... But what we 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 did we miss anything? Um We got it all.
1: I think we got all of it. The one thing that just kind of crossed my mind now is while we're talking about like comedy and movies and music, the two biggest things that came or like that affected me with that was first being in like elementary school and Napster starting, and having like that resource to pull everything you ever wanted. Sure. And then once I got to like. High school Netflix was the thing where you would get DVDs in the mail, but like it was just this whole library of like weird stuff. Like back when it was in the mail, you could be like, "I'm really into this Bob Odenkirk guy. Let me find Mr. Show." Then you find Mr. Show, and you can keep going back. Yeah, where that was sort of where I started digging deep for comedy.
0: Yeah, because a lot of those guys had like such a deep portfolio of content Mm -hmm. Bob Odenkirk being from SNL on yeah you know there's a lot of work in there that you could you can watch and enjoy Mm -hmm. Louis CK kind of the same way where like even before he got as big as he was as a Mm stand-up there's a lot of stuff he had done along the way so there's a lot of you know Stephen Colbert a lot of those guys like there's so much material there that you can watch you know now that they're you know popular yeah so that's that's kind of cool i never really thought about that
1: yeah because back in those days like they literally had everything that you could rent like anything that's ever been on dvd was like on netflix no matter how obscure yeah it was like the first time you could really access a lot of that if it wasn't at your local blockbuster
0: sure yeah i never really thought about that is that there's like a it's so easy to access their like prior work mm-hmm. or their back catalog of material. Like, yeah. like there's never really been a time like that, other than like maybe with authors. Mm-hmm. The authors are, like the only thing you can you could really deep dive into like a back like a back catalog of a book that you really liked, and then oh, what else have they done? Mm-hmm. And then go back and read it all. Yeah, it's, it's and that's funny because it's I never really kind of put two and two together like napster is essentially a library of music or Mm -hmm. digital art but with napster you had to know what you were looking for it wasn't like you
1: browse napster you have to like kind of search for it for the most part and same with like pirating things like most people aren't really browsing through to find new things Mm -hmm. whereas i feel like when netflix came out that was the first time you're like reading the reviews and then like you would follow backwards. You'd be like, I just watched this. It recommended this. Yeah. And, like, you could actually treat it, like, you know, the way you walk around Blockbuster. Yeah. or I just remember getting the DVDs and burning them and then sending them back immediately. So it was, like, constant content just coming through.
0: That, and you probably already had that skill set available to you because you, of how, like, into music you were. So you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I like this band. They were into Pavement. Yeah. And so you just kind of copied and pasted that over to comedy mm-hmm. and, you know... There's a lot, there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down to, and now it's easily accessible like it, and like it never was before. So yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Like like those two worlds would collide right around that same time. Like, you know, I'm I'm a little older, so like, um, but you know, I still got to reap the benefits of a lot of that.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. So
0: I, yeah, a lot of that made sense to me. Like, oh, okay, like once you learn who a person is and you're like, Oh, like I really think that they're funny I really like what they're doing. And then who are their influences? And then trying to figure out who their influences are. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um uh, Bo Burnham's another one of those guys who I think is like, as much as he is like a contributor of comedy and, uh, you know, I think he's funny in his own right for sure. Like he's, I think he's, he's, he's a brilliant guy. I watched inside last night mm-hmm. and, yeah, uh, inside. That one's a good rewatch. It's great. It there's just so much. There's just so much going on that I just. You could watch it a couple times and find new things. Till they are like, oh, I'd never really mm-hmm. considered that layer of it before. Yeah, i probably you know? watched
1: it like five or six times.
0: Yeah, so like good. it's very very funny and it's very good. It's very thoughtful, and like he's another person who I think who derives and is able to. Um, in a sense derived from his influences without plagiarizing mm-hmm. that's tough like, yeah. especially in comedy because
1: usually in comedy you steal at least something you steal style or a way of thinking and you just repeat that until you're good at doing comedy and then hopefully you develop a voice <laughs> of and your pivot own away yeah. from that but like when you're kind of especially the first couple of years when you're just open micing. you're really just like okay, what do I think comedy is? And it's a blend of, like, your favorite people that you're now regurgitating.
0: Who who are you guys? I don't think I ever asked you that question. Who are you guys? Like, who's your big influences? When
1: I started, I was really big on Burbiglia, and
0: And then um,
1: I loved Doug Stanhope, too. But, like, I just never really, like, bit his style, I think. But I stole, like, heavily from Birbiglia and John Mullaney for, like, how I presented myself on stage, I think.
0: But it, it definitely those two influences developed you as a very good comedy writer, which is – you've mm-hmm. always been a very, very – at least since I've see, seen you do comedy. Which, you know, I think you started before me now, I think. Yeah, I think so. So from what I've seen on, you've always been very good at writing jokes. Like you've always had really well-structured jokes. Mm-hmm. And I've always respected that about you. You're, you're like – even if that joke didn't l- get a laugh, like I felt like it should have, it it still is structurally very sound. It was a well written joke.
1: Yeah, I'm really big on like breaking it down and be like, here's the math of the, the joke, or here's the <laughs> yeah. story. Like word A goes to word B, it's leading to this conclusion, which isn't always funny, but like like you said, like it's about the structure of it. Which sure, I've always been big on, and then I get so jealous when people like can just like not have any structure and they're just kind of like. Riffin or they're like we'll get to it the joke will come let me just rant for a second and the joke comes like oh man that's so cool yeah like, like they the, didn't think about that at all they know all. the payoff
0: <laughs> they know that the payoff's going to be yeah. enough for to make up for the fact that they've kind of rambled for a minute mm-hmm. so yeah it's so funny like what's the balance of like what a, is, is, like, how much do you just fill time mm-hmm. and then how much of it do you just make it a nice tight joke yeah and it's, like, it's all dependent on like how much time you're getting on stage and then, you know, does it need, does it need all this extra material in it? Mm-hmm. You know, or am I doing, am I doing a half hour and I really need to fill that half hour. So I'm going to use these extra little things that I've added to the joke where if I was doing 15, I wouldn't have done it. Right. So yeah, that's, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's such a necessary evil to like, cause I always say this a lot is that comedy isn't a science. So you never know. It just changes every single time you do it because there's no constant. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's con, it's kind of like in a sense golf where like, you know, the club is the same. The size of the ball is the same, but everything else is a variable. Yeah. So like even the way you swing it, swing the club, etc. cetera, every little minute detail can change the trajectory of that golf ball and because it's so tiny mm-hmm. in such a vast space. And so like, uh, it, you know, comedy with golf, it's a little bit more of a science, but like um, comedy, it's not at all. Like it just, there's no way, there's no real formula to it. Like anytime we try and put rules on it, all of a sudden those rules change pretty quickly because mm-hmm. we're trying to put something into a box that can't be boxed and i but it is necessary to have fundamentals of comedy that sometimes i I even forget about and -hmm. and i'll argue with it with certain people like you know david horning is a good example of like sometimes i argue with him on some of his ideas of comedy or what he feels like oh this is what comedy is Mm -hmm. and i i sometimes forget to like, oh no, those 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 are skill sets I don't have that if I were to just pay attention to them and use them to with the abilities I do have, mm-hmm. I might find something you know, I might find something in myself that works. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it's both things are cool and both things have their place in comedy and neither of them are wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you well, the know, biggest
1: issue is like the audience kind of decides what the show is sure so like you can go on with whatever fundamentals or whatever you think your jokes are going to be <laughs> yeah. and like if you were in front of an audience that doesn't like that or seems to want something different maybe they're drunk or rowdy or they're like more conservative or more liberal mm-hmm. you either adjust or it doesn't go well whereas like when you're in a band you don't like you're not playing your shows and being like okay like we got to switch to a different genre right now or, right like, this right. song's not going great like no one in the audience is like no, this isn't really rock. And you're like, no, it is. It's still rock. Like you might not like it, right? Whereas with comedy, people are just like, what is this? They're not even telling stories. or They're not even setting up punchlines. Well, I
0: think also too, it makes you such a strong comic and a seasoned writer is that the fact that like you have enough material to pivot. Whereas mm-hmm. some of us just have to stick to the game plan. Yeah, and just you know grin and bear the um, the bomb. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're very good at like oh. They didn't necessarily. You're good at reading the crowd and having the material to pivot to. Yeah. So that's nice. Like sometimes with me, it's like, no, I. This is the game plan. I'm sticking to it. Mm -hmm. Where if I feel like my only, my only fallback plan is if it's not going well, then I'm going to switch to crowd work, which I'm not also very good at. (laughs) Which I think
1: I think that's kind of the worst thing comics do. Yes. Is they'll switch to to crowd work when it's not working. Which is not the time to switch to crowd work.
0: Absolutely. Like if
1: the crowd's like talkative or something and they're distracted, fine. But if they don't like you and your material and then you're like, well, let me talk to them. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) They hate you. (laughs) Why would you talk to them? What they know of you they don't like already. Yeah. Don't so, do that. <laughs> getting to know you further in the moment.
1: Like, Let me rely on the skill I barely use with people who don't like me. Like, yeah.
0: No. <laughs> or like it usually ends up being insults. Yeah. Because that's kind of like how we've developed our crowd work is mm-hmm. like, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, yeah. Well, Des Moines stupid. Yeah. You can mean with the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean- like, I didn't like you before. And now you're telling me where I live is dumb. Mm-hmm. And now I really don't like you.
1: Yeah, I did a show at Hilarity's last weekend, and there was a guy in the front row at one of the shows who immediately, I was like, thank you guys for coming out, despite the snow and all this. And he just yelled, like, something about the weather report, like, oh, it's going to be a blizzard. And I wanted to, like, I turned and I looked at him, and I was planning on just being like, thanks, bud. Like, keep us updated on the weather throughout the show. Yeah. And I looked at him, and he's in this, like, Spencer's Gifts T-shirt that just says, sorry for my massive balls. And he's just kind of this goofy-looking dude. And, like, if I address him... He will say things throughout the entire show. Absolutely. So I just had to be like, hey, bud, we're not going to do that tonight and kind of moved on. And it was like so intuitive. But like I wanted to make the joke so bad. And I'm like, as soon as I saw him, like if I give him the opening, he's going to chat. Sure. And a lot of people accidentally see someone who's talkative in the crowd. And they're like, we can do crowd work. And it's like, no, you were just telling them. I'm that guy. Like, yeah, like. Because once you get off the stage, you think that was fine. And then that guy keeps talking to everyone else. Yep. And you just ruined everyone else's set.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, what was it? The the Happy Dog show where Mm. I was hosting is a prime example of that. Yeah. Where I had a very talkative table. Mm -hmm. And I gave them basically permission from the get Mm -hmm. to continue talking throughout the show. Yeah. And I even... I should have realized that, like, even explained to them, cause, which I did, I explained to them, like, look, I'm very happy to do this with you. Mm-hmm. I like doing this. Yeah. But I am not all the other comedians who are coming up after me. Mm-hmm. They may not like this banter. Mm-hmm. And they that did not click with them.
1: Yeah.
0: And, of course, their big thing was I was helping out the show. Mm-hmm. It looked like a lot of them were struggling. Yeah. It's because you never gave them the momentum to get going Mm -hmm. because they constantly had to deal with your banter, you messing up the rhythm and et cetera. So yeah, it's very intuitive of you to go like, Oh, I see that guy with the Spencer's gift shirt. I know that if I engage, if I give him the opening, then that's the door he will walk through and continue walking throughout that room Mm -hmm. all fucking evening long. Yeah. I don't have, I don't, I don't think I have that skill set yet, but that's, definitely something I won't consider in the future. I'm mm-hmm. going to remember that in that yeah. moment. And it's I'll a be bit thankful. hard not that, to engage because you're like, I have a joke or like it'll go
1: over well. And you have to be like, no, if I make that joke, the opening is there. And you never want to just like not tell the joke that's on the front <sighs> well, of your they make like, it so mind.
0: easy because they give you so much to work with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody like that is going to say enough for you to pick apart something. Yeah. So they kind of give you enough material to like formulate some sort of thread of a joke in there, and you can either sometimes what I try to do is I go on tangents, which is never really great. But mm-hmm. I've seen other comics do it and they do it well, like Sam Talent, Sean Panton, yeah, uh, R- uh, Rand Barnacle is a very good example of s- somebody saying one little thing to them and then them going on a huge tangent mm-hmm. that's brilliant and funny. I'm not at that point yet, yeah. but I'd like to be. But like I just I just don't have that skill set yet, mm-hmm. but Uh, but you're right. Giving that, especially if you're the host Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be setting like the pace or like you're supposed to be like, you're setting
1: the tone and like the expectations. Sure.
0: And if you're setting the tone and expectation of it's okay to talk, Mm -hmm. they're just going to continue talking.
1: And also if you're the host, it's okay to not do well. Like that's another thing that I think people panic about at shows is they're like, Oh, my hosting set's not going well. Let me stretch my time or engage the crowd. And it's like you don't have to do that. They don't care about you. Like you hopefully your set goes well and they remember you after. But even if it does go well, most people don't remember you. They're there for the headliner. Headliner's gonna do great. Like, do your part, get people kind of in the mood. You're supposed to eat the bomb up front. Yes. You, but
0: unequivocally
1: yeah. are correct there. People panic and they're just like, "Oh, this hosting set didn't go well. Let me do an extra five minutes." And it's like, "No, <laughs> now the crowd's tired for your feature." Like,
0: did David send you here to like point out all of my flaws as a host? Yeah. So yeah. I thought this is like a host I intervention. Check the text,
1: but I think we hit everything. <laughs> I think so. Yeah.
0: Because I will do that. I will do those things where I will panic mm-hmm. if I'm not doing well. Yeah. And either I will take it out on the audience. Yeah. that I'm not doing well. And it's not that I'm not doing well. It's mm-hmm. just that they're not warmed up enough to laugh. Yeah they're smiling, they're enjoying what I'm saying. but in my mind I should be getting a laugh. Mm-hmm. so then I turn on them. And then yeah. at that point I'm defying them to like me mm-hmm. and it never goes in my favor and yeah, it doesn't send a very it doesn't set a very good tone for the rest of the show and I end up you know I end up resenting them. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm, uh, and they still feel it every time I come back on stage. Yeah.
1: No one's at the show hoping to have a bad time, too. Like, right. So you, if the crowd's not into a set, you kind of have to like move on if you can't really win them over and not push for it because they're not like trying to be difficult for the most part. If someone's at a comedy show, they want to be there and they want to laugh.
0: You just gave the best advice of of comedy uh, as, for hosting in general that mm-hmm. everybody. Should take into consideration it's okay to not have a good set.
1: Yeah.
0: Man, you just gave me goosebumps over that. You should have good sets, though. (laughs) They shouldn't all suck. but, But when it
1: goes bad, it's not your show. Like, switch from being the comic to being a host at that point.
0: Yeah. My skill set usually is to do a little bit of crowd work up top just to kind of reel them in. Mm -hmm. That also doesn't always work either. Again, it's not a science, but like the whole like, yes, try and go out there and do your best and do your, especially as a host. Like you might be able to get away in the middle there with a few Mm -hmm. newer things, but try and stick to your A material because they're cold. Yeah. They're as cold as they can be.
1: I think for showcases, too, like if you're at a bar or something, that's more of like an open to do the crowd work. Mm -hmm. If you're in a club um, or like a book show, like you guys do the typical like three comic shows um, for some of your secret society stuff. It's you don't want to set the crowd expectation of we're
0: we're doing crowd work now. Well, one thing I've noticed, too, is that's not really a good time because they're trying to order their meals. Yeah, they're trying to get their drinks Mm -hmm. like they're not paying attention to you. Yeah, they're trying to figure out what they're going to eat or drink or. You know who's 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 going to put their card down for the tab Mm -hmm. before they can close it out separately later. You know what I mean, like things like that. And I never really take that into consideration because I'm such a self-centered little like I need constant um uh I need constant like approval all the time. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not getting that, then I don't like you. Right. So that's that's my own insecurities, kind of like rearing its ugly head on stage mm-hmm. of like, oh, you're not giving me the the constant uh approval, so I'm going to not like you.
1: Yeah.
0: And then it's not to fight that feeling. Yeah, and it's tough. Man, is it tough because mm-hmm. I just wanna just I, I I wanna go dark immediately. Yeah. You know I'm having it's a It's so off putting
1: to an audience too. And I love catching comics doing it where they like chastise the audience. <laughs> Especially when they're just, like, yep. they're really brutally mean to an audience, and all the audience did was not like them that much.
0: Yeah, and I'm... <laughs> like that. they
1: might not even bomb. They just didn't get the laughs they were hoping for. And, like, some comics really rely on, like, certain jokes having a punchline because they need, like, a 20-second gap. Yeah. And then like, when that punchline doesn't hit, they're just like, okay, well, now here's my next story. You guys are a bunch of assholes. It's
0: like, no. No, they're just ordering their they're paying attention as much as they can while trying to order their food yeah and they're enjoying what you're saying but they don't Mm haven't they're not laughing they're they're just enjoying yeah having you as entertainment and yeah i am definitely that guy who like that insecurity sets in and it does ugly things yeah (laughs) it manifests it manifests itself in very like horrific ways where i turn on an audience and it's not it's not good i'm trying my best to like you know uh break free from that and uh i think i'm getting there i'm doing my best
1: yeah i feel like you've been a good host for the secret society shows i've seen
0: yeah i they've been i've been like i lucked out with some good crowds the roughest one was that happy dog show mm-hmm. and there's just like they were just as the night progressed they got worse and <laughs> there was just no way of getting around them yeah i even tried to explain because they were teachers Mm-hmm. So I was like trying to oh, God, relate yeah. to them on a level of being teachers. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, you ever like um, have a student in your class who's constantly talking mm-hmm. and asking you questions and you'd be like, you know, you would read you wouldn't understand what is going on if you would just simply pay attention. Yeah, that's kind of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And then, like, then I was a huge asshole for saying
1: that. Yeah. Can't chastise the crowd like that. Brian is a. Um really great host because Brian will bomb flawlessly. Like it's so cool. Cause he's got bits that he'll do that just like, are clearly not for certain crowds, but he'll do them anyways. Like he'll talk about Drake to like a crowd of old people who have no idea who Drake is. Yeah. And like, he'll first get them to laugh just based off of like charm. Uh-huh. And then like when jokes don't go well, he'll just like laugh and move on perfectly. It's as if he's not phased and I don't know if he is or isn't, he but isn't. it's such a good quality. Like, he's not. Fazed. And then when he is crushing, and he is doing crowd work really well. It's so good because of that. It's like it
0: pumps it up another level. Brian's mind, he's never bombed. Oh, I believe that one hundred percent. Yeah, he's never once bombed, and he like because he laughs when they aren't. <laughs> yeah. he is in having more fun than anyone else. He's and the that's only person you need to who be.
1: laughs at his own jokes, and it doesn't bother me.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> like I it's am always a,
1: in a good mood when I'm watching him.
0: Well it's also very sincere he finds himself very amusing like yeah. it's not like if it were like almost fake in a sense it would it wouldn't have the effect that it has with as it does with Brian it's sincere yeah. he's funny he's having a good time like he is n- not wrong in any facet of that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And yeah. he's charming. He's likable. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, even if you're older. He's you're, so tall. Yeah. Even if you're older. <laughs> yes, he's so tall.
1: No, I guess the whole point is uh, I'm here to say that Brian's a great host and you have things to work on.
0: Yeah, is, <laughs> you were sent by David. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to end there. Because also I got to make sure that things are still rolling. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know why this keeps happening. But anyways, uh, a good time. well, thank you so much for being on Not Weird, Just Homeschooled. I'm your host, Jeremy Demery. I guess I'm today Logan was Rishaw. Logan Rashaw, the best dude ever. Where can they find you on social media?
1: Uh, you can go to my website, LoganRashaw.com, for all my shows. And there's an album on there. And uh, yeah, that's the best way. Hell Logan yeah.
0: Rishaw.com. Logan, and then it takes you to all your different social medias. Yeah, it's stuff, all cool. there at the bottom. That's awesome. i got to start doing that myself. Uh, you know, you can find me at uh, Instagram. I'm trying to just promote my Instagram for some reason, but uh, mm-hmm. at Jeremy, G H E R A M Y underscore Demery, D-E-M-E-R-Y. Uh, go to secretsocietycomedy.com to see what shows we got coming up next. Uh, I don't know when this is re- going to release, so I will check back with you and probably plug some – shows you got going on or whatever sounds good so thank you so much for doing this this is amazing thanks for having me and uh go uh go on to the patreon check out our patreon show uh we've been going for a minute now so i don't know probably done like an hour and 45 okay you you have time for the patreon yeah all right cool i don't
1: know what that necessarily adds but like What's the next part? What's the Patreon?
0: We're going to talk shit on everybody. That's, oh, this I mean. is the moment where we talk. You're going to have to pay to get the nitty gritty yeah. shit. You know what I mean? The, the, we're going to gossip.
1: Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I don't oh, know what we're going to do. Go- I love gossiping.
0: All right. Then we're <laughs> gossiping. That's what yeah. we're going to do. We're going to talk shit on everybody. All right. Good <laughs> night, everybody. Go to the Patreon.